Signs of the Southland, Monday, September 12th, 2022. Gentlemen, we enter an era of no more Scott Frost days. How does that make you feel, Mr. Grant? Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. <laughs> or smile over, what was it, $15 million in buyout money that, that's been paid out? I, what would you do with $15 million extra dollars, Mr. Purdy? Right now, um, I pay off my car and whatever uh, Joe Biden doesn't cover with the new uh, student loan forgiveness. That, that, those are my top priorities right now. Uh, Dude, yeah, come on. Bet bigger here. Come on. Hey, I want to hear some ridiculous like crypto scheme. No, the only scheme no. you need is real estate. And you got to buy a nice house in Virginia Actually, Highland yeah, and yeah, retire. No, and then just let let the stock market cook, baby. I'm boring. Yeah, I'm boring. That's a yeah, that's also a house purchase. That is a I buy out my current my current lease, let everyone live at my place for free, and then go buy a house somewhere else. That 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 gets me set. Scott yeah, Frost got awarded generational wealth for being bad at coaching football, and I think that's wonderful. It's terrible if you look at the current state of the U.S. economy, but it's wonderful. With fifteen million, I can be with fifteen million. I can become the first Gen Zer to own a house. <laughs> Woof. Oh my god. Hey, hey, hey. Property is hard to come by, especially in places that we want to live because we're all in town types. So uh that's delightful for for us as you know, young Atlantans. But in terms of other fun things you can do with $15 million, I'm sure if you called either Angel Cabrera or Todd Stansbury, they would be able to you know, help you out of that hole real quick. Speaking of what you could do with that, you know, you could, uh, Angel Cabrera and Todd Stansbury might ask you to divert some of those funds to the Ken Byers Tennis Complex to talk about some uh, ITA-ranked men's tennis teams, wouldn't they? And fans of volleyball. There you go. Dude, you ruined you, you ruined the segue into the first news segment. Uh, I can't take you anywhere. Please, please read the rankings. We'll we'll have to fix it in post. <laughs> Andres Martin, number twenty singles, shockingly low. Uh, in my humble opinion, he's been, you know, the the star, the stud, court number one of the team for a while. Uh, so number twenty does seem a little bit low, especially for somebody who's been a regular. Uh, ITA and NCAA tournament appearer. Uh, Marcus McDaniels at number 97. Um, again, that feels a little bit low as well. But uh, Martin and McDaniel are sitting right at number 17 in doubles. And with uh, you know plenty of ITA competitions uh, that are national, uh, they'll have some opportunity to prove that you know up against some of the best of the best in the fall and uh, in the spring as well. So um, pretty good showing overall, but also kind of Dare I say what we would expect to see, at least in terms of who shows up in the rankings? Yes? No? Maybe. I will note, Andres Martin, without playing a college match, did climb 17 spots in the college rankings because he finished 37 last year. Really? Yes. According to Ramblin' Rec, Martin was ranked at number 37 at the end of the 2021-20 season. Uh, So, yeah. He said he, without playing a college match, but playing some very good pro matches, including... Uh, defeating yeah. uh, it's in Atlanta. Got him, found his way up some more. So maybe he peaked a little bit higher, like 
you know, he may have been higher at some point. Yeah, I feel I like know. that fact didn't just like float out of nowhere from my brain, but go figure. He's up. Very That's good. good. Yeah. Cool. I mean, sticking two guys in the top 100 and then a top 20s doubles team is a uh, pretty good business any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That'll, uh, that'll set them up well, I think, for the spring in particular. What does their fall slate look like? Because I know they announced a preliminary roster, uh, schedule at some point. Yeah, so that's actually a great question uh, because it starts very soon. Uh, they are going to be at UTR Columbus, which I take it to be at Columbus State University based on the graphics included. That'll be this coming weekend. Uh, the weekend after that, they'll be in Nashville for the Commodore Invitational. Uh, that's a Friday through Sunday event as well. Uh, they'll be at UTR Georgia Gwinnett in Lawrenceville. A lot of UTR tournaments this year. That's different. Um, and then they will be at uh, ITA All-American Championships, as we've uh, noted in the past there. That is a um, you know pretty comprehensive national-type event. And then, oh, man, that's a lot. Oh, Southeast Regionals, too. Um, forgot about that. And if they win through... They will uh, play at the ITA Nationals uh, in the fall, and then uh, they do have a Florida State event in there as well. So uh, they're going to be kind of all over the map. Competitive. Shame on me. I also, I also forgot the GT fall invite. So yeah, a lot of lot of overlapping tournaments, different places that they'll be. Not sure exactly. Um, it's not team competition, so you know sometimes you see some odd doubles lineups or odd singles lineups it's it's mostly draw play in the fall i think when whenever we talk about the tennis fall slates we're like okay well this is sort of a like these games matter right they're individual play like you said draw play these games matter but when we use when we talk about evaluating the team and its performance as a whole the spring is really what draws our attention right i would say so um not many fall tournaments are team scored right so you can't think about it in the traditional you know six singles courts three doubles courts you might have seven singles players you might have five you might be splitting your squad and sending you know half to ita southeast regionals and half to the florida state futures like they'll be doing uh because they're both on the schedule this year um i've said um like eight times here but uh excuse that and the uh the the, the real takeaways you're going to get are you know how how is Andres Martin looking? You know our, our court one option. How's Marcus looking, uh, et cetera, down down the roster. So uh, a little bit more of that individual or playing around with the doubles too. So moving right along on slate, golf was at the Maui Gym Intercollegiate in Scottsdale, Arizona, this past week. They started off a little rough. They were eleventh place after the first round. Uh, posting at five under par, and then they picked it up the next couple of rounds, uh, 18 under after round two to be ninth, and 34 under after the final round. Mr. Purdy, you got one look at the box score here. What did you think of the performance, especially that final day? Final day was great. Um, our top two guys, Hal and I forgot who. Uh, and Steelman both shot under 70 every day, um, which put them under par for every day. It was a par 70 course. 
um, and Hal finished tied for third uh, individually. Uh, yeah, we climbed five spots on Sunday or whatever the, if the final day was Sunday or Saturday. I forgot, but that was no one climbed more spots in that given day. So we, we were clicking on all cylinders that day, which again, as we said, I mean, in the spring for those listening, like we knew this team was able to beat just about anybody every any given day, but it's also golf and college golf. So the very, the variety, the, uh, no, not the variety, the, uh, what? You, you can just be really bad sometimes. The, the variance, yeah. the variance there is, uh, is a lot more. Um, but no, overall, I mean, I think it's a, a, definitely a great, sp- a great start. Um, we were only one shot out of, uh, third as well. That's where FSU was. Uh, and then Auburn finished a good, uh, well, they're 11 shots ahead of us. So it was Auburn far and out one, um, but no, Howe was great. Seelan was great. Tran and Forrester finished tied for 24th, and Lamprecht was tied for 44th. Uh, so overall, pretty good, pretty good showing. When I was looking at the leaderboard, I got I accidentally thought we had some Georgia State guys because uh, they were also at this tournament, but I was just you know eye blind. Yeah, the um, the thing I want to say there is Lamprecht is, is usually at the top of our lineup. Uh, so very interesting to see how well Tech finished. Overall, with him having a bit of a slower week, um, you know, tied for 44 isn't bad, especially with how large of a tournament it is. But when he's your go-to guy in a lot of senses, that's, um, you know, also interesting to see uh, just in terms of color for, you know, overall clarity. If, if you don't follow golf that much, again, uh, how Forrester um, and Steelman are all seniors. Uh, Steelman did transfer in from Mizzou. Lamprecht is a junior and Tran is a freshman. Uh, so interesting to see uh, the freshman crack that uh, five-man lineup uh, overall. Speaking of new lineups, uh, Club Hockey's lineup is a little bit retooled after losing a couple of seniors. They started hot the last couple of weekends in their new season. They are now 4-0. and oh. uh, They went 2-0 and oh versus uh, Alabama Huntsville and then 2-0 oh and 1. Hmm? Versus Middle Tennessee State. Uh, Jake, explain to me 2-0-1, but 4-0 on the year. Yeah, so the CHF, uh, that's the league they played in the last two years, College Hockey Federation, doesn't technically count uh, shootouts. So if the game ends in a tie, it's just a tie. Uh, on their website, they present it as 3 0 O and one, which is a lot of digits for your scorekeeping at home. Uh, so that's super fun. Uh, I think I may have uh, mistyped in the yellow jacket roundup. So forgive me there. But um, basically, Middle Tennessee State and Georgia Tech elected to play a shoot off because they wanted to have a winner uh, in which Tech won. Uh, that's a lot of fun. But um, yeah, they, they went up to uh, Nashville. Uh, I think they said that um, hmm, Connolly, I think, was one of their captains last year, too. But uh, Connolly and Rule got goals in the shootout to uh, break the tie. But I guess that doesn't count for the standings. Uh, but they have, you know, as as we said, showed out well against Alabama, Huntsville and uh, Middle Tennessee State. Good stuff on the club hockey front. Let's move over to O'Keefe Jim uh, for the Georgia Tech classic two results on deck for you i guess a third game was played but we don't really need to talk about that one between byu and ohio state but tech did play number 10 byu on thursday night that was a 3-0 dispatching of again a top 10 team and then fell 
three to one to number eight Ohio State on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Jake, you're at the BYU game. Uh, give me a high level overview of what you saw. I think ultimately the final score was a bit deceiving. Uh, it was a 3 0 sweep, um, and they did really knock their socks off in the third set. But I wouldn't say that tech really, like, it, you know, sometimes sweeps just happen, right? Georgia Tech swept a very, very, very good Ohio State team in the Sweet 16 last year. We'll get to them in just a second. But, you know, sometimes uh, a point or two just bounce a certain way and error happens at a certain time and it turns into that 3-0 look. So uh, not to, uh, you know, dampen Tech, you know, sweeping a very good top 10 team, but uh, definitely wouldn't say that it was a, you know, top to bottom, you know, all cylinders, everything all at once. Uh, I think overall Tech did play well. Uh, there's a reason they won the game, but definitely, um, definitely some takeaways there. And I think that's kind of a general theme of the weekend as well. Right. I think you meant the way you phrased that was really interesting because I think what is implied there is there were some cracks that showed up in that performance that then bore out into full blown issues versus Ohio State. Jack, let's go to you first. You were sitting on the media row for this one versus Ohio State. What did you see from this performance from Tech? I saw. Well, I mean, a, it was it was a tough matchup from the get go. Ohio State was is, I mean, probably just as good as they were last year. Um, I know I had said some things about this when we did the schedule preview about the the amount of really good players they have on the All American front. Um, they are also just on average larger than us. They kept their rotation really really tight, like we usually do. But our usual rotation um, was not a a good size matchup. Um, at times we had to take. Pimentel out just because she just wasn't literally couldn't cover enough ground because she's one of the she's our smallest starter um and so we were taking her out at times letting Elizabeth Patterson in um and then we'd take out Otene and D'Amico uh for Leia Harper and oh forgetting her Leia Harper and who am I forgetting Nicole Drunick or Laura Fisher yeah yeah or yeah Laura Fisher played some time as well um and so and why I think is we had a they were able to just find alleys and find holes more than most teams ever will against us um they also have the ability to just do that well um gonzalez their main hitter i mean hits about as hard as i mean hits as hard as bergman does so we were facing effectively a very close mirror image of us with a few stronger points and a few weaker points so um that those that was the initial stuff i saw um also we 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 Kali very intentionally stacked the schedule um, so yeah. we were going to make it through, like, like even Pitt, they killed everything last year, but they still weren't undefeated. Like going undefeated on a good volleyball schedule is goddamn near impossible. Um, mm -hmm. especially as the talent pool has only gotten bigger in the last few years to where it's not the old 20, the 2000s Penn state where you just know they're winning everything. Like they're women, like the UConn women's basketball team. Um, yeah. so a loss like this, it's not worrying to me at all. I, cause I, cause we want we still want to set, we want it very overwhelmingly at the time. Um, and we were really close to forcing a fifth set, which I think this match deserved, honestly. Um, yeah. One service error, and that pretty much did us in. So, yeah, no, I, I was, and I know some, we, you might, y'all might have some comments about the refereeing on this game, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's NCAA volleyball. <laughs> I, I don't see how you escape that either. So, I, well, it, it was interesting in that what's the point of VAR if 
the call, at least to me, seemed pretty clear from my angle. And then they went and reversed it. But, yeah. you know, I'm going to let Akshay maybe tee that one up. I do want to <laughs> say one thing tied to the they're not going to a fifth set. Uh, and that's Tech's general inability to just put the game away or sometimes even put a point away. There was a number of times when, you know, whether it's Tech getting a free ball, kind of a misplay, something like that, and, and just not converting in a way that I think we were pretty used to seeing them do last year uh, that was definitely you know part part of the difference there uh, and, and i think tying it back to that BYU game again it's a sweep it was a great win uh, yeah. you know great resume win but tech was up like 19 to 6 i want to say in the end of the third and yeah, the score wound up being a lot closer than that right it was yeah, it was yeah. a it got a little him... bit more relaxed at the end there i mean also yeah, we but... had just had a, went on a massive streak so i mean like regression to the mean is actually like to say like it was also kind of gonna happen um oh I like absolutely, about, absolutely. I like, yeah i like your point about putting but, points away though because we did that against byu we we, yeah. we we knocked away their errors very easily ohio mm-hmm. state was able to do that to us yes they uh, ohio is ohio state was able to capitalize in a way that i think last year's tech team was very good at but it was also um you know you're looking at a really experienced Mariana Brambilla or whoever you want to have out there, whether that's Tippett or McKissick as well, um, that were, you know, very, very reliable and experienced options. And that's kind of something that a team's going to have to learn because, and we said this in the schedule preview, I'm certain this schedule empirically is harder than last year's and the ACC is only getting better too. So at the end of the day, six and one is six and one. We got two more non-con games left and, you know, you got to learn at some point, right? This this isn't a team that can just be Texas and roll through a whole season yet. Yeah. Here's what okay, I think you guys talked about the game and, and laid that out very nicely. Um, here's the one thing that I will say on refereeing. I don't like to I don't like to complain about refereeing. I think it's incredibly uh, it, it's incredibly pointless when one it's bad analysis. Refer- it's it's very simplistic analysis. It's very reductive, and also usually, refereeing is not what decides a game. I think in a lot of in your usual football cases or your usual basketball cases, it's like, well, you played like crap for most of the day, and it doesn't come. To, you were only tied because you played like crap, not yeah. because the refs jobbed you on a bunch of pass interference calls or something like that. That being said, there were some truly atrocious calls that were that went against Tech in this game. And I'm going to leave it at that because I think if I say anything more, uh, I will get a letter from the Ohio State Athletic Department about slander. So I'm going to leave it at that. I there I, I will say one more thing on on that. I just don't understand the point of VAR when you're going to overturn certain. It seemed like a lot of ticky tack type type stuff going on. So I'll I'll let you have it. I want you to feel heard. I want you to feel a little bit echoed. But that's the difference Akshay and I can take when we sit in the fan section versus Jack, who's you know Mister Mister Professional over on Media Row. So I mean, well, I, well, you don't see the replay in the media area from where I was sitting. Like they only got one monitor. Fair. I didn't have to, I should have had this, I, instead of having this stream up, I had the Falcons game on as my second thing on my computer. So that was a mistake on my part. Um, mistake in so, multiple ways on your part for that one. At, at least you're honest. Points for that. Winning. But anyways, well, I mean, also like 
I, and this might be, I might, I might be wrong on this, but every time I've watched the volleyball replay, I can never tell what it's like. The, the cameras just aren't good enough. They don't have, they need phantom cameras to solve these kind of things because the amount of, if they had that, I think a lot of our complaints would go away because it's really hard to decipher some of these calls. So the- my, my thought was that Hawkeye would really not be that expensive to install at O'Keefe. Mm-hmm. And I am very curious as to why installations like that for replay haven't been adopted. I, I assume like, okay, you need like 30 some odd cameras or whatever, right. Yeah. To, to really get it right. But everyone that like most people that play volleyball or peapod programs like figure it out this is not this is a worthwhile expense here i i got two pieces of advice for y'all these are some cues i take one look at the coaching staff they don't get animated for no reason they will they will give you a hint when they think something is one way or the other they're not always right but that's one way to look and two look at the broadcast staff because if anyone has a good angle and multiple angles of the, uh, you know, situation that's going on, if uh, if they're out of their chairs or animated in some way, that's usually an indication that something is not going as expected or, you know, some, you know, yeah. some sort well, of. Even, there was afflict. one call. There was one call. I forgot which one it was. Uh, it was something that Ohio State had challenged. I don't know if you remember if it was a tip or if it, an, an out ball, but like mm-hmm. the, I, don't, I couldn't, and I couldn't hear the ref's explanation for any of this. I was only like six feet away if if that but it was so loud that i just couldn't hear anything unless you were right next to the ref and the pa announcer was like trying to understand the explanation to one of the calls and he was befuddled like he didn't say he didn't announce anything because he truly could not comprehend the reasoning behind one of the reviews um really that was my he was very animated so i was like okay clearly something did not get conveyed properly or it was just a miscommunication that came the wrong way i don't know but at one point, we just didn't get an explanation in the state in the in the gym because we didn't. The guy didn't know how to explain it. He he's been doing this a long time too. So if he was befuddled, then yeah, you know, I'd, I'd follow his lead there. Actually, looked like you had something. Yeah, final note and similarly befuddling, and this is not related to the actual game. It's very funny how we've gotten Jake to say VAR for every type of instant replay now, despite hating soccer as much as he does. Uh, I don't hate soccer. I just don't really like it. There's a difference. I can just not generally like something, but it's that, that's a different podcast. Apathy, apathy and we'll disdain talk- are, the, are, are two shades of the same color. Anyway, uh, 12 errors for Bergman, I think, is the last note here. Um, she did not get going in this game much at all. Um, Ohio State did a really good job of controlling her. Nah, she did get named to the all-tournament team, which I guess this was a tournament somehow. I, I don't get how those work. Um, but it's it was a kind of a rough day. I think I saw – you said 12 errors on the sheet here, and then I think it was 18 kills, which is a little down from the usual output. 21? Okay, yeah, 21. well, that's more usual. But the eight, but the 12 errors are, are a lot, a lot. I think, I think it's yeah. more telling that uh, – in terms of you know 21 kills uh 12 errors that uh there's not really kind of that second option yes uh, bianca bertolino was also in double figures but that was 11 kills uh with five errors so again kind of a a, a pretty high 
uh, rate there for the two of them. But there, there's no Brambia to the Bergman, if you will, uh, I think kind of in the same way, or you lose one of the killer bees, if you will, between Bertolino, Bergman and Brambia. And, and I think that's noticeable, right? But that's something that's going to come with time. And and there were flashes where, um, you know, uh, Tamara Otene looked, looked pretty solid there. Uh, I know uh, Breland Morissette had a couple nice overs from the middle like that. That's just something that they're going to have to get used to. And I think that's if I I resent this terminology too, but if you're going to take a loss, it might as well be a quality one. And it might be one that you can take something away from. And I think they do have takeaways to take from this. So that's about as productive as I think you can get. I think that about rounds up the discussion on this set of games. Tech has dropped to number seven in the polls. Ohio State moved up to five. Uh, BYU dropped from its number 10 position. Uh, Louisville, just to round out some ACC foes, Louisville's at three. They moved up from four. Uh, Pitt is at number 12, which is interesting. Not really sure what to make of that for Pitt uh, this week. On this schedule, Tech goes on the road to Arkansas. They'll play number 24, Arkansas, on Thursday, and then they will play Athens in Athens on Saturday. Jack, you have the last word on volleyball. Arkansas being ranked is a nice accidental RPI boost because that, I mean, that was not, I don't think this was necessarily planned. I mean, they're a good team. I mean, I I mean, obviously we put them on the schedule for a reason, um, but that this, it's just a little bit of an added bonus really to hey if we win this it's another ranked on ranked win which will come in handy come later in the season yeah um i I do want to say that that is purely accidental it's kind of interesting though um just to you know give a a little flavor of history for those who might not know we somewhat oddly play both arkansas and uga the same seemingly the same weekend uh, every year for the last i think this will make it four outside of covid so pretty uh, pretty expected, and honestly, they've uh, rotated NC State there too. So if you went to check Arkansas or UGA's schedule, I think you might find that uh, they're playing State uh, on the the reverse side there. But don't quote me on that because obviously no guarantee. But definitely Arkansas and and UGA have been been pretty regular. And honestly, I'm kind of interested to see if that's the case because I'm I, I want to know. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I'm looking at the record sheet right now. This did happen in 2021. It happened in 2019. Uh, it happened in 2018, but it was Georgia, then Arkansas. Uh, and then in 2017, it did not happen. We did not play Arkansas. Right. We had, we defeated them with Kansas State. While you did that, uh, I looked up NC State's schedule, and you'll never guess uh, who uh, who NC State is playing Thursday and then uh, on Friday. And it's I'd like it to be Texas. It's it's actually Georgia and Arkansas. So uh, okay. uh, that's uh, that's your boy's hint uh, or hunch coming coming home to roost there. So I'm a little pleased with that. It's a bit of a quadrangle of hate, wouldn't you say? Sure. Let's go for it. I don't know why it happens every year, but it it's interesting. Speaking of interesting things, we will talk about football uh, and their game versus Western Carolina right after this short break. All right, uh, so we are going to transition over to our usual plug for Section103.com. Section103.com uh, is actually the place where I got this fine shirt that I'm wearing right now. Uh, they make Podcasting is visual media. It is totally a visual medium. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for agreeing with me. I appreciate that. 
Anyways, uh, back to section 103. They make very quality and very soft apparel. Uh, it's Georgia Tech, uh, Georgia Tech stickers, and some more designs. You can check those out yourself. Uh, in terms of the Georgia Tech stuff, they do have the Up With The White And Gold t-shirt, which is perfect for any whiteout that may come along. But they also have the ATL logo as well. And that is the only place to get that uh, in terms of your deals, the standard uh, free shipping on orders over 70 bucks uh, always applies. That is an everyday thing. And uh, you can also buy a gift card for somebody you uh, know and love. If you're not sure exactly which Section 103 design to get them, you can always, uh, you know, help them uh, help them pick out on their own. Uh, in terms of the rest, you can find them at Section 103 on Twitter. Uh, great interactive polls and the ability to choose the next design that they make there. And you can also find them at section103.com as always. Welcome back to Scions of the Southland part two. Let's talk about football versus Western Carolina, Georgia tech one 35 to 17 to go to one and one on the year before we talk about the actual game itself jake i want to kick it over to you because this was the opening weekend on campus at least well for alumni at least of the new student center i wanted to get your initial thoughts as an alumnus what you thought of the place it is wild that that is the same bones as the old student center because they have colcified the heck out of that. It is why hold on, hold on. Before we move on, you have to define the term colcified proper podcast. Like colcification is a term that yours truly has invented to describe the changes Georgia tech has been making when they renovate spaces, right? This is really common, uh, commonly seen in the IC in recent renovations, uh, the basement lecture halls of bogs, uh, how he just got colcified a couple of years ago. And that is when they, you know, strip out the, uh, the cladding around, you know, like pillars and stuff. So it's exposed concrete and the floor is, open like smooth concrete floors you know you have like random wood just like it's wood great awesome um but it's very uh postmodernist type look and uh, one thing it really does is make things a lot airier and a lot more open and uh the old student center great building great bones that's why they kept them uh but uh, it did not have a lot of windows and it is wild to see to stand on the third floor and now have a an absolutely stunning panoramic view uh, of the skyline and it seems like honestly there's a lot more uh space that's accessible right that that whole third floor used to be a lot of meeting rooms and a ballroom that stuff happened in but mm, not that much and now it's uh three straight floors all the way across to the row stamps wing as well and it seems uh, granted i didn't see it at like a lunchtime on a weekday type thing but uh seems like there's a lot of uh, options for students for midday as well i have been there during a lunch rush because that is now my closest chick-fil-a and it is it it, it it feels like what our students that are back when me and jake were there feels like like it's the rush is there that wasn't um, that long ago you act like it was so long ago three, three years is not short right now this is a yeah. there's a full pandemic in between it was two not hold on, hold, uh, on, hold on hold on it was not offline for three years yes it was yes, offline it, for like a two two and a half it was offline for two and a half years because i remember sitting in tech rack uh, 
in January of 2020 with uh, one of my swim club buddies, or a guy on my exec board. And I was like, hey, we might have to, you know, plan for this for spring break and for our national trip. And he goes, ah, that's not going to be a big deal. That'll go away. So, uh, yeah, that was like one of the last times I was there. But Tech Rec yeah, still exists. Still Tech Rec looks very nice. Yes. Two and a half, three very... years. But it, it's also yeah. Panda getting a longer line than Chick-fil-A nowadays. Uh Ooh. At least in the times I've been in there. Uh, also, that Chick-fil-A runs very efficiently, so they're able to keep the line short. Uh, that is yeah, a change. That is yes. a change because yes. that Chick-fil-A in the old student center was arguably the worst in America at moving efficiently. The it, it And it had a short menu, too. That's the thing that always got me. I'm like, there's like four things you could, you could have. Yeah. But one thing I will comment on that I noticed is the old like student center – food court wing that was Chick-fil-A, Taco Bell, Panda, and then Auntie Anne's and Subway down the way had a lot of, um, uh, whatchamacallit, like just seating around. And it didn't seem to kind of have that same density of seating, but it it did seem to have, you know, just more space in general. So maybe, yeah. maybe that's, maybe that's a lot of the footprint there. that was taken up by that the, the on the left side of that building. If you're like staring at the restaurant, there's now a, a, a theater kind of room, kind of room. Um, and some elevators and other stuff like that to for mobility. Um, they put a bigger okay, staircase cool. back. There's two big staircases now. Uh, the existing one that was there in the first place, and then a new one on the the, 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 the in the newer building. Um, and then the top, the third floor for the what the second floor food options that used to be like kind of hidden away, and you would go into the greenhouse. What was the greenhouse is now fully part of the building. Um, so that footprint mm-hmm. still is being used for seating and whatnot. But again, you can see all off campus very easily from out there um multiple options and easily and they can easily if someone needs to leave they can easily put in another vendor whenever they want uh so it'll that space i imagine will be evolving a lot going forward yeah one thing uh, i did want to say that broke my brain was seeing the stairs go straight up the whole way instead of having to fork and go right yes, left, yes. Uh, in that central thing but it, it, it was nice and i'm kind of shocked we uh, led with this before the football game, but uh, I guess we did go there before the football game, so that kind of makes sense. Uh, yes, this was the majority of my game day, personally. Well, I mean, the brightest part of my game day. Yeah, the uh, the the atmosphere on campus before the game, uh, I'd say, definitely was a little odd, just because there wasn't uh, a big chunk of the IC that was still there, and it was also raining, uh, so definitely kind of a lively portion of the day, I'd say, was, you know, that area around Tech Green and then uh, the Student Center as well. Uh, I think maybe more so than your your typical game day, just given the weather. Yeah, it was a nasty, nasty weather day that was only made better by the fact that it was 75 degrees and not to like 40. If it was a misting at 40, I think I would have had some pretty major issues with, with how things were going, but... Uh, you know, I'll take it at 75. You decided to talk about literal atmosphere as you wrapped up your atmosphere discussion. Let's transition from, you know, out the atmosphere outside to the atmosphere inside. We saw a very rejuvenated student section, uh, a completely full student section at the start uh, or, or the early stages uh, of the game. Um so that's awesome to see, especially after uh, an interesting student section set up uh, versus Clemson. Uh, tell me a little bit more about, I guess, what you saw inside the stadium that was new, anything that people should look out for 
as we uh, as the season goes on now that we've had our home opener. Yeah, um, I, I will say as well, the Upper North looked pretty good. I know they were giving away some some tickets up there. And and that that's something that this podcast has preached for a long time, right? If, if you're not going to use the inventory, make fans, get people in the building that makes lifelong fans. Like we're, we're not in a place where you, if, if we're not in a place where they're going to get sold, get somebody else in the building and, and, you know, get them, you know, hooked on Georgia Tech, just like all of us are. Um, in terms of other stuff from around the stadium, concession lines were pretty good. Uh, I went at halftime and it was, you know, pretty, pretty reasonable. I think, uh, you know, most people um, were accommodated under the awnings if, if need be, but it seemed like most people kind of toughed it out because it really only ever got misty. Uh, one concession thing I did want to talk about in particular, no free ads on this podcast, but uh, I actually had it at the volleyball game on Thursday night was the Hella Vienna Lager from New Realm. Uh, it was pretty solid. And I think that just given that a beer is $10 and that's 12, uh, I'm going to hope that tech sees a little bit more of that money and say that it was, you know, fine uh, $2 for the sake of buying a tech logo beer and, you know, supporting, uh, you know, that, that initiative there uh, in terms of overall, I, I would say I'm a particular fan of Vienna lockers in general. So I might be a little bit, biased into liking the type of beer but they did say they're going to do some more limited releases and i do think that the name is kind of clever um and, and fun so uh overall pretty pretty solid in terms of our first uh or at least my first on-campus experiences since baseball closed uh in the spring let's move on to the game itself and some of the on-field action jake you were you were in the arena for this one Give me the main thing that you saw. I, I mean, it's an FBA, it's an FCS team. You don't really know what you can take away, but give me one thing that you saw that you know could be a spark of progress. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was the guy manning the Twitter. Uh, I'll fess up to that. Uh, so if you were following along uh, to our Twitter feed, that was me. And one thing that was a theme is that I don't know if it's because it was dark or because it was misty, or because uniforms, or whatever, or maybe I'm just going blind in my post-college age. Um, but I was not having a very uh, successful time seeing names and numbers on the back of jerseys, to be honest. So a lot of my takeaways are influenced by the announcements that were made over the PA system when stuff would happen. So uh, if anything's slightly off there, uh, you can always let me know. Uh, in terms of general thoughts, uh, in terms of the offense, we looked really good on the ground. Dante Smith, great option. Uh, he ran for a lot of touchdowns, a superlative amount of touchdowns. And in fact, a number not seen uh, on the ground that it would be three uh, since Sinjin days, I believe in the 2014 orange bowl, which is a heck of a comparison, if you will. Um, that uh, would be very, I guess, uh, remiss not to, not to mention that like, that's a, that's a standout performance there. Um, I think McDuffie and Hall, you could probably characterize their nights. as pretty good as well. Um, I wouldn't say we had an explosive offensive evening, offensive evening, um, but uh, yeah, Nate McCollum and, and Jeff Sims seem to connect well as well. In terms of what I saw on defense, um, they seem to be in the right places at the right times. So I don't know if that's because we're playing an FCS team or, you know, maybe they're just coming around in terms of, uh, you know, creating some chaos back there to borrow uh, a phrase from the program itself. And then um, I see you rolling your eyes, Akshay. Don't, you got to give them credit where credit is due. They forced a lot. I of, don't like buzzwords. They forced a lot of turnovers. I believe it was 
was it three interceptions? I can't remember. Uh, I saw six back. total total turnovers. Okay. Uh, three fumbles, three picks. Okay, that's that's what I thought it was in my head, but you, you're the numbers guy. So, um, in terms of that, they were in the right place at the right time. Uh, as expected, Charlie Thomas also had a superlative evening, and that's with uh, just a half. So, um, just in general, seems like some pretty stellar individual performances are our big takeaways. Again, it's also an FCS team. So take that with maybe a uh, decent uh, grain of salt, but, um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it, it, it was a Dante Smith, Charlie Thomas um, type of evening, if you will. And, and it seems like the, the offense in general, otherwise was, fine the defense was fine and they did what they needed to do to win the game if if any of that sounds off let me know so here's my bit where i tell you everything you said was wrong no i'm, I'm kidding but the, there's like there's a, one point that i guess i want to bring attention to or at least discuss with the advanced box score in front of me uh tech allowed an epa success rate of 51 percent to western carolina that's about the 88th percentile of all single game performances uh between fbs teams in that stat in 2021 that is kind of concerning from a if if you're looking at defensive performances um i mean some of the other metrics bear out pretty well here i mean yards per play uh, they allowed a 19th percentile, 4.81 yards per play. They were minus 0.3 in EPA per dropback, minus 0.3 in EPA per rush. Yards per dropback was right around 6.5. So, like, you know, average to really good defensive performances there. I I, I think they struggled in some places, at least for the numbers. Um, they struggled in some places to prevent Western Carolina from getting a foothold in continuing drives. Right, uh, and I think the flip side of that is the offense for Tech sputtered at times. Right, we saw Western Carolina get out to a fourteen to seven lead. Obviously, that's just one score, yada yada yada. But um, the offense sputtered, especially in the passing game. I mean, Sims was what, eight for eight for seventeen. Right, um, EPA per dropback that I have here in front of me is .07, which is right around national average uh, in terms of performances. Really good EPA per rush uh, from Dante Smith and, and co, right? 0.16, that's 72 percentile. Um, yards for drop back, again, cons- pretty concerning, um, right around, right below average at, at, at 5.9. So I see a lot of things on the passing side of the ball here, I guess, that are reasons for concern. And I, I, and I think that's two consecutive weeks of – well, I don't really know what you're doing when you're throwing the ball, and that's something that's going to have to iron itself out, right? Especially when you're playing an FCS team, you might try some stuff, perhaps. Um, but it seems like whatever they were trying to do in this game did not go according to plan, at least through the air. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to be positive because, you know, that's something that, I find a lot of value in, in terms of, you know, bringing, bringing to the table. Don't, don't right. make me the bad cop. I'm just looking at the numbers. I was going to say, you're the numbers guy. I'm the eye test guy. That's, that's how it goes. Um, in, in terms of, I think our outlook, our takeaways, uh, I know this is really in um, 
in our other thoughts bucket. But Jack, I, I think the question that you brought to the table when we were doing our prep is really something that I think I'd like to park the rest of our focus of the game on, or at least the majority of it. And that is not to steal your own question, but is there anything that's going to change from this game? Like, did it meet expectations really? I'll at least try and answer that based on glancing at stats. Now, seems like unless we were going to do an absolute smackdown, the, the answer was no. Like we would have had to seen something radically new that we just hadn't seen at all in a while that would have pushed that up made that different this is our first win in seven football weeks so i mean it, 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 we desperately just needed that column to have a different number than zero of, of, of for a while of, or any anywhere between one and three as we've had for the last few years um i mean i'm seeing that western carolina ran a lot more plays as well than i did than, than we did not me um so i assume we were at least get off the field quickly when we needed to or just didn't very sad, bad drives. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like I mean, we the, the fan base has been in such a, a, a very tenuous spot and very lamenting of just where we are and how stuck this program is between Collins' buyout and just the inability to have the hype from 2017, 18, 19 to transfer into anything actually good to watch on the field. I think the way that I think about this game is just sort of a I mean it's not like a throwaway throwaway but also there's not I, I think Jack's line of questioning is right right there's not a lot to necessarily glean from this performance other than okay you were expected to win you got through you got through your your you know, not trap game but you got through the game that you were expected to win and it would have been really bad if you lost right um, I, I, I think I'm on the same page with, unless they won by like 65, I don't think the calculus here would have changed. Right. Um, Jake, you, you, you get the last word on this game before we move on. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree. Right. It, 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 there's something mentally incongruous to walk away from an 18 point win and or a three score win and say, Hey, like, gosh, that was disappointing, but I, I I think you're right. Like Western Carolina dominated the time of possession, and that's not the only way to you know score a game or anything like that. But Re- it's, it's a pretty time of possession. Re- but you know number number of plays run was really high. It it you know th- th- this team was kept in the game by forcing a lot of turnovers. Right, the very thing that I I just praised. The defense bailed out uh, on an offense that didn't really always get it done, and I'm I'm not sure that. Um, you guys got to stop DMing me because I'm not wearing headphones because they uh, went kaput. But um, in terms of, <laughs> I, I see that. Uh, in terms of just what needed to happen, they got the win, right? Like it it wasn't pretty. And I think this ties into my point as a fan. Two games in five days or six days, going to them and, and being at them and night games and all that, it's a lot, right? And, and I get it. You're supposed to play a football game every week, but there is a reason uh, that the NFL Players Association is pretty insistent on certain week-to-week turnarounds in terms of recovery time and things like that for games. Um, that's a reason why the Thursday night games were a sticking point for a while. And, and, and to turn around and expect, you know, 22 to 18-year-olds or whatever that margin is uh, to turn around and, and play with their hair on fire um, after 
you know, big game, season opener, big opponent, um, and, and just taking the the normal dings and dunks of a, a football game on a short turnaround, it it's tough, right? So, uh, again, there's a little bit to be said, but it's it's a win. They got to move on to next week, and it certainly will be an interesting game next week. Yeah, speaking of that game next week, that is a 3.30 kick on ABC versus Ole Miss. Now it's time for rapid fire with the rest of the ACC schedule. I have it open here on my computer, and it starts on Friday, September 16th, 7.30 on ESPN. FSU travels to Louisville, Kentucky. FSU is favored by two points. Mr. Grant, you are up first. FSU. Jack. Seven holes as well. All right, moving to 11 a.m. on ACC Network, one of those weird kickoffs. Wofford, Virginia Tech. There is no spread on this game. Jack and then Jake, give me your picks. Uh, yes, Virginia Tech. BT, but I don't want to. Uh, I would take Wofford in that one, just for the lulls. Uh, moving right along, ESPN2 at noon at the JMA Wireless Dome, formerly known as the Carrier Dome. Syracuse favored by one versus visiting Purdue. Jake and then Jack. Give me cues. Yeah, Syracuse looks good, actually. So, yeah, but, yeah let's do them. Interesting thought. Old Dominion conquerors of Blacksburg visit Virginia, uh, who I think may not hold the Commonwealth Cup anymore. This joke was not well thought out. I didn't prepare it. Scott Stadium, UVA, favored by nine and a half, 2 p.m. ACC Network. Jack and then Jake up first. I thought about it. I really thought about it, but I, I'm still going to pull for the Cavs. ODU covers. ODU covers nine and a half. Interesting. Interesting. Moving down the eastern seaboard, Wake Forest hosts Liberty. Wake Forest is favored by 16 and a half. Jake, you have the con. That's 5 p.m. on ACC Network, by the way. Give me Wake all day. And Jack. Yes. Just yes. That wasn't an option, but we're going with it. 6 p.m. <laughs> on ESPN Plus and ACC Network Extra. Wallace Wade Stadium plays host to Duke and North Carolina A&T. No spread on this one, but... Before war, North Carolina A&T, one of the best HBCU teams of recent memory. Jake, you are up first. Hmm. Their losses are to North Carolina Central and North Dakota State. So um, I'm going to say they've been tested, but still give me Duke. Blue Devils as well. Moving right down along in the triangle, 7 p.m. ESPN2, Texas Tech visits number 16 NC State at Carter-Finley Stadium, NC State. Favored by 10 and a half. Both teams are undefeated at 2 and 0. Mr. Purdy, give me your pick. I was going to make a joke about how I don't do vibes pick, but this isn't purely a vibes pick. Texas Tech took their goalpost down within 60 seconds of beating Houston, and I do not think that's a good move for them. So I'm picking NC State for that. NC State's kind of snake bitten, but uh, I still think they take this one out. Going back up to Michigan. Pittsburgh visits Western Michigan. Pitt is favored by 10 round points. Over under on that is 53. Jake, you're up first. How, this game's on ESPNU, by the way, so good job to the Mac there. But uh, how many times on the broadcast do you think they're going to ask, where's Waldo? Because, you know, that's that seems pretty, pretty standard. Um, I think but, that's uh, actually what the over under is set for. <laughs> give me give me Pitt. Uh, I, I think they avenge this one. 
I picked Pitt as well. Western Michigan would have made the playoff in the upcoming format a few years ago. Speaking of other Northeastern schools, 730 on ESPN3, which I also believe is the RSN Alumni Stadium in Chestnut. Now, Massachusetts plays host to Maine versus Boston College. Boston College is scuffling. Maine is an FCS program. Uh, stoppable force, movable object. Tickets as low as $6, apparently. Jake, you're up first. Uh, Boston College is playing a heck of a Northeast schedule this year. I still think I take them to win the game. Uh, Maine lost to Colgate in one of their losses. So, uh, yeah, I'm going for with Boston College. Colgate's not that bad. Colgate's not that bad for the FCS. Fear the Patriot League is uh, something I might also say to Clemson, who hosts Louisiana Tech at 8 p.m. on ACC Network at Ye Old Memorial Stadium. Clemson favored by 34 points over under 52 or 54.5. Excuse me, Jack, you are up first, but I think I know who you're going to go with here. Good old Tigers. And Jake. Uh, give me the orange people. Uh, the former site of College Game Day until it uh, was stolen by App State uh, is Kyle Field at College Station, Texas. Texas A&M, who is somehow still ranked at 24, will host also weirdly ranked and overhyped Miami, who is 13th. Uh, Miami 2-0, Texas A&M 1-1. Texas A&M somehow favored by five and a half. Jake, you have the last first pick. Give me the Canes. And Jack, round us out. I am here to provide a different opinion in that I do think the Aggies will pull this one off. App State, I think, is just good and is always, will always be there to wreck you in the first three weeks of the year. And no team is – they need to play Bama. They just have to play Bama. I want to see it happen. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm pulling for the Aggies here. Moving on to sicko picks of the week. Jack, Washington? Michigan Washington. State? Question mark? Washington is favored at home over number 11 Michigan State. Uh, which just did not compute for me, which is why I'm like, hold on. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going with uh, the Spartans here. Um, it, I mean, it's a very losable game, but I, I don't think it, Washington is, you know, of their playoff selves that they were a uh, few years ago when they lost in the Beach Bowl. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I think I think they, the Spartans can pull this off. I don't remember who Washington's coach is now, but I do remember they fired the last guy. I really wish I remembered. Uh, Jake, Cal, Notre Dame, question mark? This will be fun. This is a stoppable force and a movable object situation. I have not seen anything out of Notre Dame that makes me go, wow, that is a playoff contender type team. And that's the kind of hype they were getting coming into the year. That said, I haven't really seen anything out of Cal that's made me go, wow, this team is amazing either. Uh, I'm still going to take Cal just for the memes uh, and because I know Akshay is a Stanford fan. So there you go. Stanford looked good versus USC, I will have you know. Also, they ran some option plays. That gets mad respect for me. To round out the slate, 0-3 Charlotte visits 0-2 Georgia State on Saturday. That is Georgia State favored by 19.5. Will Healy might get fired out of a cannon in Atlanta or at least tarmac to Hartsfield-Jackson. Give me Georgia State, I think. That about does it for rapid fire. That does it for sicko picks of the week. That about does it for us this week on Scions of the Southland. Gentlemen, do you have anything else that you'd like to cover before we finish up? I'm good. Bring us home. That is your job, Mr. Grant. Take us to the promised land. Darn, I thought I was going to be able to quit early and go get some dinner. Uh, that being said, you can find us at FTRS blog on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at from the rumble seat 
uh, .com, uh, where articles associated with this and everything else under the Georgia Tech sun uh, get posted. You can email us at from the rumble at, at from the rumble seat at gmail.com. Uh, we do respond to, you know, all those emails and, and we really appreciate your suggestions there as well as in the comments on the site. Uh, you can find our podcast wherever fine podcasts are distributed, Apple, Spotify, and all the rest. Uh, you can find Akshay's work at gameonpaper.com. It is a great resource to following games, whether they are ACC, Georgia Tech, or just around the rest of football. In the meantime, you can find me at Jake Grant 98 you can find Jack at Jack Nicholas, both on Twitter. Thanks again to Section 103. Uh, they really do great work. And with that, have a good night. For Akshay and Jack, go Jackets. Oh,